Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. As I said this morning, we're going to be looking at um, this uh, little pamphlet that's out there on the foyer every second Sunday of this year. Um, really, what we're looking at uh, this afternoon is the section that says a commitment to biblical conflict resolution. It's on the uh, little section that says the Peacemaker's Pledge. You don't necessarily need to be looking at that while I'm preaching, although you can if you want to. Um, but just to let you know, the, the, really the thought behind this is, um, is that as we take each of these sections, that you have the section there with passages so that if you need to in the future, you just use it as a tool. You open it up, maybe you look at it when you're trying to prepare your heart for a conversation or helping someone else um, in your family or friend group or something like that um, as it relates to the information and material we'll be going over in these afternoon sessions. So the, the, um, the, the first one is to, this afternoon is not really a practical message in the sense of today is not about some of the nuts and bolts of what it means uh, to be a peacemaker or to deal with um, conflict resolution in a biblical way. Uh, this one is a commitment to biblical conflict resolution. So really the message is to um, really highlight the fact that you and I need to know how to resolve conflict biblically. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, there's more to be said about that than that verse, but blessed are the peacemakers. I want you to, to think about how, how much effect it would have within the church on the rate of divorce if people knew how to resolve conflict. Every divorce that's ever occurred is because of unresolved conflict. I want you to think of how many church splits could be avoided if every Christian was committed to resolving conflict biblically. I want you to think about how every, uh, what impact it might have on every strained relationship, whether that be husband-wife, whether that be parents-children, whether that be siblings, if we as Christians took resolving conflict biblically as a serious matter. You know this already. Jesus Christ puts a high, high value on church unity. right? And I think this church has great unity. But you know what I also know? Behind the scenes, there's a lot of conflict resolution going on at this church too. That doesn't mean everybody's at each other's throats. It means we're getting things solved before you do get at each other's throats. You know how that works. Conflict can come. Irritations can begin to fester. And before you know it, an explosion happens over the slightest little petty action or remark. And you wonder, where did that come from? I've, I think I've told you this story before. I'm sure you may have heard it multiple times. Um, this has been when David was a baby. 
Abby was having some kind of girls' day out or something. I can't remember what she had, but she was going to be gone on a Saturday. And so I had uh, uh, cleared my schedule to uh, to take care of the kids while she was out and free her up for that. And I already had my gold star on my chest in my own mind, you know. And uh, so Abby's getting ready to 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 leave, and I had already had plans for that Saturday. I had plans for me and the kids. And uh, right before she left, she says, oh, don't forget, David really needs a nap today. Well, it was funny to me that David didn't really need a nap any other day except for the day I had him. And that it was such an urgent matter right before she left, but she didn't tell me to, to, to allow me to work my plans around that ahead of time. So, uh, you know, believe it or not, that did it rubbed me the wrong way. And so Abby and I began to uh, get into an argument over whether or not David was going to need a nap. He had not had a nap any other day that week, but somehow it was an urgent matter that he get a nap on that Saturday. Now, y'all don't know what I'm talking about as far as these kinds of spats, but but we had one. Uh, so, um, so we're going back and forth, and and finally Abby says, why are you acting this way? And... Uh, so I did. I thought, well, let me think about that for a second. Why am I acting this way? And uh, the more I thought about it, the more I realized the reason I was acting that way is because I just I didn't want her telling me what to do. Uh, I had no virtuous reason. Um, there was no biblical conviction. There was not even a real humongous inconvenience. I was acting that way because I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Okay. Or maybe you've heard your kids say to another kid, you're not the boss of me. Okay, that's why I was acting that way. Right? And so the Lord blessed me to be able to see that. And, um, and so as, as I saw that, we were able to, uh, I was able to confess that to her and uh, we were able to resolve that, that conflict. Had I not, and that was that was kind of there's plenty that we haven't resolved well until later on. Had I not, this is probably the way that scenario goes. I go on and do my thing, and then the next time she's bossing me around, I file that one away. And then the next time, maybe she's making a very kind request, but I interpret that as bossing around. Now this is this is the way this works. If you've never thought about it this way. After a while, we get a picture in our mind of a person. You ever known a complainer? I guarantee you, you thought they were complaining at times when they weren't. Because in your mind, you've already got them pictured as a complainer. A whiner? Okay, a lot of you wives have your husbands already chalked up as whiners when they get sick, don't you? Okay, and no matter what's said, they're a whiner. Well, we do that in, in, in other scenarios and other ways too. And all of those pictures at times, um, there's some legitimacy to some of those things, but all of those pictures contribute to what eventually comes out as an explosive conflict at times when we think, where in the world did that come from? How did that happen? And the way that it happens is because over time, each of us file away all those little petty offenses that we didn't take the time to resolve in the moment. 
And when the bomb hits, it's not one offense we're really dealing with. We're responding to the 500 that we carried around for so long. So at times you, you see the way people respond to things, or maybe you think about the way you respond to things and think that doesn't make sense, when in reality it makes perfect sense if you really think about what's really going on. Another good illustration, you've heard me say this, Jay Adams said this, he was talking particularly about um, conflict within marriage. He said, if you think about every unresolved conflict, so every offense that is given that you can't overlook, okay, that needs to be resolved because it's affecting the way you think or the way you act toward another individual. Every time one of those conflicts come along and you don't resolve it, it's like carrying around a bag. Every conflict is like a bag that doesn't get unpacked. So you start out and you have one or two and it's not that bad. You can carry one or two bags, and that's that's not a big deal. Um, the days, the weeks, the years go by. You know, sometimes people say, you know, the thing about us is we just don't fuss. Well, the reality is you may not be fussing out loud. Right? You may be having those internal fusses to yourself, thinking about what all you would say. But the truth is, husbands and wives... We're going to fuss at some point, and I'm using that word, you know what I mean by that. We're going to have some conflict that needs to be resolved. So I want you to imagine if you had bags in each hand, two under each armpit, one between your knees, and a couple of hooks hanging off your loop belts walking around like this, and somebody says, you just don't act affectionate anymore. Well, do you think you'd be very affectionate if you really had those kinds of bags? Walking around, if you were trying to carry all that, juggle all that. Somebody says, we just don't talk the way we used to. We just don't fill in the blame. Well, when we collect offenses and we think we're pushing them under the rug, eventually the rug runs out of room. And those things are going to have to be unpacked, unsettled. Now, by that, I don't mean you need to go back and dig up every private offense you've ever had, but I'm saying if you don't resolve conflict, it is going to blow up one day. Again, that's a marriage, that's a church, that's any kind of relationships you have. Do you remember that the Apostle Paul got on to the Corinthians because he said, what in the world are you doing dragging each other to court? Bringing your conflicts before unbelievers. Is there not somebody among you that's wise enough to take care of this matter? See, the Apostle Paul thought Christians and churches ought to be able to resolve conflict. Not just the tiny ones, the big ones that you go to court over. So, a couple of points this afternoon as it relates to conflict resolution and why you ought to be interested in conflict resolution. Number one, as you think about what God has accomplished through Christ in the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most incredible act of conflict resolution the world has ever known. You realize you are at conflict with God. That was the problem, right? I mean, we say you, the good news is not really good news until you get the bad news. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 7. The carnal mind is at enmity with God. We've brought that up a few times here in the last month or so, but the carnal mind is at war with God, is an enemy of God. And that's you and me, brothers and sisters, before Jesus Christ sent the Spirit to make us alive based on the work that He did on the cross. You and I were enemies of God, and there was no way, absolutely no way, on your part that you could or would make any steps toward God in resolving it. Romans chapter 5. Now, why, why do we go here? Why, why do we think about it this way? Well, we think about it this way, number one, because God models the importance of this. But number two, you are called and I am called to be followers of Him. That is, be an imitator of Him. Part of what it means to grow in Christ's likeness is we're acting the way. Part of what it means to follow, imitate, is we're imitating the things that God does or has done. Same way with Christ. So Romans chapter 5 Verse 7 says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God is committed to, was committed to, resolving the incredible conflict that existed between him and his people. Okay, And one of the things that we see here is that God realized, he recognized the way that he deemed to move forward in resolving this was sacrifice. One of the points I want to make is there is no conflict resolution without sacrifice on the part of at least one party, typically both. Christ died for us and we're called to die for Him as it relates to just laying down our life. Sometimes people say, you know, I don't know that I want to get into doing all that. I've got, I'm just not good at it. I'm just not very good at this sort of thing. Well, you've heard me say this before. Nobody's just good at this because they come out of the womb good at conflict resolution. When I do premarital counseling with people, one of the things that I put a humongous emphasis on, to the extent that we just about talk about it every time we meet now, is conflict resolution type things. Um, and, and here's the reality, and I try to emphasize this um, again and again and again in premarital Conflict resolution is a skill that anybody can learn. Okay, it's, it's not a gift. Now, some people may have personalities that are more suited to helping other people through things like that, but you can learn to resolve conflict in your life, and you can learn to help other people resolve conflict in their life. It's a skill. There are predictable things that can be done, and as the Lord blesses, can lead to 
reconciliation, forgiveness, restoration, those kinds of things. But it does, it does take sacrifice. Sometimes we have to sacrifice our comfort. Sometimes we have to sacrifice our pride. Sometimes we have to sacrifice what we think is fair. But, but it can happen. Um, I'm afraid at, at times people have viewed conflict resolution. Now, this is a bit of an exaggeration, but it's not much of one when you think about how many people avoid this kind of thing. They viewed the, the uh, ability to resolve conflict the way they do, uh, the way the charismatics view uh, the gift of speaking in tongues. You know, if the Lord just miraculously gives it to you, you have it. If you don't, you don't. Okay, again, not so. Not so. Who is called to not let the sun go down upon their wrath? Everybody. Everybody. Um, Colossians chapter 1, again, we're thinking about God resolving the greatest conflict the world has ever known. By the way, one of the other things that we, we have to keep in mind here is... Um, If we remember, if we if we kind of keep in check the magnitude of what it was that God resolved on our behalf through Christ, then whatever offenses that we're dealing with and whatever sort of a situation that we're dealing with pales in comparison to what God has already accomplished on behalf of His people in Christ. And, and really, if we're talking about two Christians... We have all the reason in the world to hope that reconciliation and restoration is more than possible if you have two people who are motivated to please the Lord. And I realize that's not always the case. Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 19, speaking of Jesus Christ, it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled. Now again, this passage is just one of those gospel passages. It's pointing out the fact that, brothers and sisters, at, some, at one point, you and I were the ones who were alienated. You and I were the ones who were enemies in our mind because of our wicked works. And you and I have now been reconciled back to God through Christ. Whenever you look at Scripture, this is just, I'm not going to go to all these places, but when you think about God and how this peacemaking um, uh, reality is attributed to him. Consider this: God in Romans chapter fifteen, verse thirty-three, is called the God of peace. Right? Jesus Christ in Isaiah nine, verse six, is called the Prince of what? Okay, it's the same kind of peace we just talked about. The humongous conflict that existed between us and God, and Jesus Christ comes in as the Prince of Peace, and He is our peace. And then in Romans chapter 14, verse 7, the Holy Spirit is spoken of as the one who brings peace. So for the Christian, 
particularly to Christians who are interacting with one another, peace is always an option. That's wonderful, isn't it? That's not always an easy option, but peace is always an option. So, point number one, the gospel is the most incredible act of conflict resolution the world has ever known. Point number two, conflict resolution is an area where every single Christian should be growing. Okay, It's an area that every single Christian should be growing in. We, we read this already, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. Um, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because the peacemakers bear a family resemblance. That's what Jesus is saying here. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. As much as lies within you, okay, as much as it relates, or as much, as much as it's determined by you, be at peace with all men. You know what that means? That, that means take every possible measure you can take to be at peace with all men. That's believer, unbeliever. So the reality is there are, there are going to be times where you are willing and you stand willing to make peace, to pursue reconciliation, and the other party is not willing. So what do we do in those kinds of situations? How do we think about those kinds of situations? And Romans 12, 18 uh, tells us how. We stand ready to resolve and reconcile when the other part, as soon as the other party shows uh, an interest in doing so, as much as lies within you. So that means a few things. Number one, it means as much as lies within you, if it's possible, learn forbearance and learn how to overlook petty offenses. And as much as lies within you, you pursue confrontation. Confrontation is not a bad word, by the way. It just means you're bringing this conflict out in the open and you're ready to discuss it, work through it. You pursue confrontation, confession, repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. As much as lies within you, as much as you can possibly do on your part, you pursue those things. Or Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 17. It says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. Let us follow after. This is really a quote from, uh, or at least an allusion back to Psalm 34. Um, it might be verses 14 or 17. I can't remember the exact verse, but Psalm 34 where he says, um, seek peace and pursue it or follow after it. So, Brothers and sisters, you and I ought to be actively pursuing peace. Part of that means, and really if, if we, if we, um, if we just, 
put a lot of effort into this one thing, a lot of conflict could be avoided. And I think you do a good job of doing this, but I don't know about your personal relationships. If we can learn to set aside our preferences, my goodness, that's three quarters of the battle. How many times do we get offended over preference? I don't like Abby telling me what to do. Is that a preference? Yeah, that's a preference. I don't like the way you looked at me just then. I don't like the way you talked to me. I don't like the way they said this. I don't like the way they said that. I don't like the way they did that. Anything that we come up with, with an I don't like, I don't like, I don't like. Preferences. So number one, the gospel is the most incredible act of conflict resolution the world has ever known. Number two, conflict resolution is is an area where every Christian should be growing. And then number three, and I think if you keep these three in mind, it's I think they're they're enough to remind ourselves to shore up a pretty good commitment to biblical conflict resolution. Number three, conflict provides an opportunity to glorify God, serve others and grow in Christ's likeness. Conflict provides an opportunity for us to glorify God, serve others, and grow in Christ's likeness. Well, the most obvious verse maybe that we think about when we think about those realities is Romans chapter Romans chapter 8 verse 28 God working all things together for our good who love him who walk after the spirit as just by nature of um, the kinds of interactions that I have that Robert has as far as counseling ministry goes um, we see and help people work through some messy, messy stuff. And you know what happens a lot of times after we've helped people walk through and work through messy, messy conflict resolution and reconciliation? They become some of our closest friends. There's a unity that's knit there that that is just kind of unusual. There's there's also been times where I've just had personal conflict myself that needed to be worked through. And unless there's just one that I'm not thinking about every single time that I've pursued that and worked through that, the person who was my potential enemy became an even closer friend than they were to begin with. Well, I don't think that's an accident. What really happens is we get the superficial stuff out of the way. And then what happens is, it's an unspoken reality, but then what happens is, is that both of us realize that if something like this comes up again, we can take care of it. We can take care of it. This this doesn't have to be the end of our relationship. Uh, We are clumsy people. We say clumsy things. We do clumsy things. The other part of it is we are sinful people. We do sinful things. There are times where we say things to be intentionally hurtful. There are times where we do things to be intentionally hurtful. And guess what? 
We've been doing that toward God since the day we were born. And through Christ, He's taken care of that and reconciled us back to Himself. Laying the groundwork for the way that we ought to be working through conflict resolution in our own life. So it's an opportunity. A Romans 8.28 type opportunity. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians 10, starting in verse 31. It says, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jew nor to the Gentile nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now, notice verse 31 of 1 Corinthians 10. Whatever you do, whether it be eating, drinking, or anything else. Now, this is the, this is where it comes in. Conflict. The way you respond to conflict gives you an opportunity to glorify God. Matter of fact, I tell people fairly often in a counseling setting that every scenario you find yourself in is an opportunity to glorify God. And here's what I mean by that. When you mess up and sin, well, you can get deflated, put your tail between your legs, go sit down and meditate about what a reprobate you are. That doesn't glorify God. Or you could look to the cross of Jesus Christ and acknowledge I'm a great sinner, but He's a great Savior. And if I confess this sin to Him, He is just and faithful to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And then if I go and confess it to the person that I sinned against and I begin to work through um, forgiveness, repentance, reconciliation, this sin is an opportunity to glorify God. This conflict is an opportunity to glorify God. It's already happened. I can't do anything about that. So in one sense, it's almost neutral. Even though some of it's sinful, but you know what I mean. What I do with it is what matters from here. I can use it to glorify God, or I can respond to it in a way to glorify myself by trying to stuff it under the rug, or whatever else you want to say about that, however else you want to do it. Or then we have James chapter 1. This will be our last place to go to. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations or all kinds of different temptations. So we could say it this way. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into all kinds of different conflicts. Okay, those are temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. What's he saying? He's saying when you go into these pressure-filled situations, that's really what a temptation is, 
When you go into these or you find yourself in a pressure-filled situation and a conflict would certainly be that, count it all joy. It doesn't mean you have to be excited about the conflict, but what can be produced out of the conflict, knowing that patience or endurance is going to have its perfect work. And it's going to bring Christ-likeness, more Christ-likeness in your life if you let it have its perfect work. Endurance in what? Well, endurance in godliness. Enduring in obedience to the Lord with what you do in response to the pressure-filled situation that you find yourself in. And so, brothers and sisters, this is, again, not necessarily a practical message, but this is to sort of whet your appetite for the practical things that are going to come ahead. Number one, the gospel is the most incredible act of conflict resolution the world has ever known. Number two, conflict resolution is an area where every Christian should be growing. And number three, conflict provides an opportunity to glorify God, serve others, and grow in Christ's likeness. Blessed are the peacemakers. Not the peace breakers, not the peace fakers, but the peacemakers, because they shall be the children of God. Now, as we move forward, and you'll probably take this home and look at it, and that's good. As you look through here, you'll find there's there's just lots of helpful little nuggets here. And our, our goal for this year is to help equip you to use those nuggets in your own life and also equip you to help others in theirs. Anyone have anything they want to, anything on your heart, anything you'd like to say before we dismiss? Okay, my recommendation, it's just a recommendation, Tuck this thing in the back of your Bible so you have it with you. It's one of the reasons we got this instead of a, a book or a little booklet. Uh, tuck it in the back of your Bible so you have it as we go through these things. All right, well, let's pray and then we'll be done. Father, we are thankful that through your son, Jesus Christ, and through the gospel, you have resolved the greatest conflict that we've ever been a part of and that the world has ever known. That you've uh, brought us to be at peace with you. Uh, through the sacrifice of your son. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would be with us, that you would bless us to um, whatever we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever else we do, we would do it to the glory of God. I pray that we would respond to the conflicts in our lives and also the opportunities that may arise within our family or friends or church uh, to, to be able to help resolve conflicts uh, in order to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We thank you that you've given us a treasure trove of wisdom in your word. We thank you for men uh, like the ones who wrote this little pamphlet who were able to um, uh, synthesize these these truths into uh, understandable and memorable ways. I pray as we spend our time here trying to glean biblical truth, learning how to use it, that you would bless us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.